Shay's word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you, Lord God, that today is a day of change and transformation in the lives of your people. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that every person would hear this morning what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. That you would wear me like a glove, Lord God, that you would be the substance of everything that's said. And that, Father, that you, at the end of this, would get all the glory and all the praise. For we love you, we bless you, we thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen. 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 You may be seated right now. Wow. Man, I just, I just believe that 2014 is going to be your best year ever. And how many of you are excited about 2014? Man, I tell you, I am, I am so excited about 2014. And so uh, this morning, I'm, I'm going to preach a message called Your Best Year Ever. And, um, and here's what, what's happened to me over the years. Uh, you know, years and years and years ago, I didn't used to care about New Year's. I didn't used to care about, you know, the date switching over December 31st, January 1st. I used to think, hey, it's just another day. And, um, and then um, I got married. And, um, and when I got married, I realized that if it's in order to lead my family effectively, I had to give them some goals. I had to give them some things uh, that as a family we were going to achieve for the new year. So then I started to, um, you know, just with my wife at first, we used to sit down before the year ended and we used to sit down and start writing out some of the goals that we used to do. And we used to start off with resolutions. And then after over the years, resolutions became more like goals. How many of you know that resolutions can sound very, very kind of, you know, out there like, I will lose weight this year. That's, that's, like, that's a resolution. It doesn't mean anything, right? Because you don't know if you achieve it or you don't achieve it. You don't even know when you're supposed to achieve it. You just know sometime this year, you hope that you'll lose something that, you know, that you put on the year before. And, and so, you know, we'd sit down, we'd set down these goals. And, we'd, and you know what? After a while, it started to work. And I started to learn some secrets about goal setting. And I want to share some of those with you today. Uh, part of the problem is that people uh, every year do the same resolutions over and over again. And they never get anywhere. Am I right? Um, here's, here's a statistic that's interesting. 25% of people abandon their New Year's resolution within the first, you want to guess? Week. That's right. Within the first week. For 25%. That means one, two, three, abandon. One, two, three, abandon. You know what I'm saying? Here's the other one. 60% of people abandon their resolutions within the first six months of the year. And, and, then, and then here's, here's the other one I want you to hear. Uh, a majority of people have written down the same resolution 10 times in their lives. How many are one of those people? Let me see your hand. Come on, let's turn to the truth. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so if your resolution list looks this year like last year, you're probably one of the majority. 
And you know what? Those stats sound like it's against us. But if I, I want to teach you today how to make 2014 effective so that you don't keep looking like you're doing the same things over and over again and getting nowhere. Amen? Amen. And so uh, one of the things um, I realized that people will at the end of this year do the same exact thing that they did at the end of last year and hope that there will be some different results. How many of you know that's called madness? Doing the same things the same way, hoping for a different result is lunatic. It's insane. And so how are we going to start off our 2014? First thing we have to do is we have to evaluate 2013 through God's eyes. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and we want to look at scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In order for 2014 to be the best year that we have, we have to evaluate 2013 through God's eyes. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, it means this. You know, like in a few days, right, we're going to be watching TV, and they're going to have all these news stories, and it's going to be like the news for the year, and you're going to find out all the people who died this year, Right? And you're going to find out all the tragedies that happened this year. And you're going to say all the bad things that happened. They're going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Except they're going to emphasize the bad and the ugly. Exactly. And they're going to give you like this amount of good. Am I right? It's like you ever watch news. And when they watch the news, they kind of put the good news at the very end for about two minutes. Like everything's bad, 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 bad. Oh, by the way, this person helped this person yesterday. Isn't that good? And good night. That's it. And that's how they treat the news. And when you look at the news at the end of the year, when they do a, a year in review, it's, all, it's bad, 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 bad. And then they give you this little snippet of good to make you feel like, hey, well, something happened good. But that's how we treat our reflection of 2013 as well. A lot of times we look back at our year and we go, man, look how many things happened to me this year. I mean, in fact, you, have, you ever had people go, man, I hope 2014 is nothing like 2013? If you go to the job tomorrow, people are going to say, man, I hope the new year is better than the old one. Because, man, 2013 was rough. But if you look at your year through God's eyes, it looks different. If you look at your year through God's eyes, you don't focus so much on the things that happened to you as much as what God did in you. I want you, are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, you're not focused on the circumstances, the events around you and what life threw at you as much as you go, God, what did you do in me because of that, those circumstances? What did you do for me because of those circumstances? And what did you do through me because of those circumstances? In other words, the focus is not on the negative, the focus is on the positive. And so Romans 8.28 says it that way, like this. It says, for we know... Watch this, that all things, somebody say all. all, all things, what are all things? All things are the bad stuff, the rough stuff, the tough stuff. Remember when you walked through that problem and that issue, when you went through that fire and that flood, you remember those times that you went through and you look at those times, when you look back you say, but God, you worked that for my good. I didn't see how it was working out at the time. But somehow in it, I'm better now. I'm stronger now. I'm wiser now. I'm, I've grown up because of what I went through. That God did something in you because of what was happening around you. This is really crucial that you understand. All things, even the things that you brought on yourself. 
Oh my word. Because some of you are still regretting the decisions you made. And God said, you know what? I took that regret. Don't worry about it. Because I'm going to work it out for your... Mm. The things that people meant for your evil and for your harm. God says, I'm going to work it out for your... For your good. The things that the enemy set up and planned and the ambush that he set for you. Guess what? He said, I'm going to work it for your... I'm going to work it for your good. So when you look back at 2013, it was all... Oh yeah, it's all good. 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 Hallelujah. Listen, I'm going to work together for your good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Look at verse 29. He says, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed, to be changed, to become like the image of His Son. In other words, what God has done is this. Every time a circumstance came up that you weren't expecting, God said, I'm going to find a way to use this to make them more like my Son, Jesus. So you look back and you go, God, when did you grow my faith this year? And you realize the time he grew your faith was when you were walking through some valley that you didn't want to walk through. But you found as you were walking through it, it wasn't as dark as you thought because you started to look for the light of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That somehow that, when you go, when did you, it was when you were facing some enemies and you didn't know what to do. But God gave you the ability to run through a troop and to leap over a wall and cause you to get out of the snare of the fowler. And somehow now you find, I'm much better off having gone through that. So the bad in 2013 actually worked for my good. And so I can hold my head up high and say, it doesn't matter what came my way. God found a way for me through it. And now I'm better off because of it. <laughs> it's like Joseph, right? Joseph is probably the best example of this, right? Joseph was the guy who they threw into the pit, you remember? And then he became a slave. And then he became a prisoner. And then Pharaoh called him and he became the ruler. And, and you got to look at this as here's a guy who was the, the favored one in his family. And he ended up being the worst one in his family until God exalted him. And then finally what happened was uh, here his brothers and his father came to Egypt. They lived and his father dies. And when his father dies, his brothers think, oh no, Joseph is now going to retaliate. He's going to get his revenge. And so they say, uh, they send a message to Joseph, right? They say, Joseph, um, before your father died, he asked that you would not retaliate. No, it was a lie. Nobody ever said that. His father didn't say that. But they were hoping that Joseph would just be okay with them because his father, you know, let's make up a little story. Well, well Joseph had a response for them. And it's a powerful response. It's, it's found in Genesis chapter 50. You don't have to turn here. We're going to put it on the screen. Genesis 50 verse 20. Look, look what he says. He says, Joseph said to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God. Somebody said, but God. You see, when, when you read in the scripture, you have to know where your butt needs to fall. So I mean? <laughs> but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about it as, this, as it is this day to save many people. Here, here's, here's, what, here's what he was saying. 
every single thing that the enemy meant for evil for you, God said, I'm turning it around for your good. Oh, man. You know what? This is so, so crucial. And let me tell you why. Because if you don't see 2013 right, you will never achieve the things God has for you in 2014. In other words, here, here's what I'm saying. If you have the wrong perspective about 2013, you will miss the power, promises, and presence of God in 2014. Right, I'll say it again. If you don't see God's hand in 2013, when He shows up in 2014, you'll miss it. You'll miss it every time. You know, if you don't see that, oh man, when I was going through that job loss, I saw God. If you don't see that, then when He turns up in 2014, you're going to say, this isn't God. You know what? God can't do anything with this. I can't believe it. It happened to me again. You go, you're going to start walking around in circles because you're going to have to go through the same test over and over because you didn't recognize the hand of God in the test. The Bible says, in all your ways, you've got to acknowledge God and He shall direct your paths. Oh, praise God. And so, you want to make 2014 great, you've got to evaluate 2013 right. Here's the second thing, second step. You've got to anticipate God's best for 2014. Um, You've got to anticipate that God can do something new in 2014. Um, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, 43, sorry. Isaiah chapter 43, if you turn there with me. It's, it's powerful because God is talking to the nation of Israel and God to Judah, in fact, and he's saying to them, hey, listen now, I know that you're in slavery and in bondage and stuff, but I'm the God, let me tell you who I am, I'm the God who uh, led Moses through the Red Sea, I'm the God who overturned a horse and the rider, I'm the God who did all this, took care of them in the wilderness, I did all of that stuff. And then he says something that's really, really strange. He said, after he reminded them of everything he did, then he says this. Isaiah 43, are you there? All right. Isaiah 43 and verse 18. He says this. Remember not the things, the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now it's kind of strange because God just said, let me tell you who I am. I'm the God who did all of these things in the past. Then he says, uh, remember not the former things. Now why would God tell you about the past and then tell you not to remember them? Because he's not telling us to forget it. Not certainly not the way we're thinking. What he's saying is this. I won't try to use this phrase a little bit. The, the phrase really means, um, don't dwell on the past. In other words, or, or, or let me put it another way. Don't think that what I did was the best I could do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If, if God, if, if this was an American Bible, if this was written like in America and, and it was American people and Isaiah was an American, he would write this. Um, you ain't seen nothing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right there, right there. <laughs> that's exactly what he would say. You ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, the New Living Translation, I like how the New Living Translation writes this verse. I won't put it up there because the New Living Translation kind of gets it. He says, uh, but forget all that. Because it is nothing compared with what I'm about to do. <laughs> I said, this is so crucial. Because if you don't think of 2013 in terms of what God did and how good He was to you, then you can only believe God for better than bad. 
I don't know if you, you understand what I just said. Let me try it over here. You see, you, there, there's, there are two extremes of thinking about your past. The one extreme is thinking that it's all bad. And when you think it's all bad and you start trusting in God, then you're only trusting God for better than bad. In other words, uh, you're only trusting God that your marriage won't uh, end up in divorce. Not that you'll have a fulfilling, loving, caring marriage that's going to fulfill the purposes of God and change the world. <laughs> you see, you don't think that way. You think, oh, as long as I don't end up as bad as I was. If you think of everything as bad, then you just hope that your kids will not fail any subjects. You don't think, hey, you know what, they can excel and become all that God has called them to be and fulfill their purpose in life. If you only think as the past is bad, then your faith muscle will only believe for a little better than you had before. But if you see God in your past, then you can look back and say, you know what God, I know you did great then, but I know you can do better now. I know there's more because God is never one who has potential to fulfill. God is everything. Are you with me? There is nothing that blew your mind in the past that he can't blow your mind again in the future. I mean, God is like the, God is like the, uh, uh, the song, the old song, Pastor Evan would appreciate this, the old song that said, Didn't I blow your mind this time? Didn't I? <laughs> Man, he's going to blow your mind again <laughs> this year. Turn to the person beside you and say, he's going to blow your mind again this year. So the, the, the other extreme is the other extreme is to think of the past as the best. In other words, you have, you have people who think of the past as bad, and you have people who think of the past as the best. And the problem with people who think of the past as the best is that they don't give room to God to do any better than He already did. In other words, all that I've achieved, all that I have, all that God has blessed me with, I can now relax because there is no further to go. <laughs> I've got God's best, so now I can rest. Oh. Because you never had it so good, you think there's no better. Are you hearing me this morning? But in order for God to do a new thing, you can't see the old thing as the best thing. I'll say that again. In order for God to do a new thing, you can't see the old thing as the best thing. Because then you prevent him from doing the new thing in your life. You see, when God wants to do a new thing in your life, uh, you have three responses to that new thing. You can either reject it, you can resist it, or you can receive it. If you reject it, you do this. Well, I never heard about that before, so it can't be God. I just heard uh, a member of our church just this past week. Gave me a call and said, guess what, man? I, uh, I joined this program and did this thing and, uh, for my student loans and everything. And guess what? They wiped off my entire student loan. I said, how much was it? $120,000. <laughs> man, I said, I had never heard of that before. <laughs> but how many of you know that uh, maybe he wouldn't have um, even taken the risk of doing that if he thought to himself, oh, I've never heard of that before, so I, uh, I don't see how God could do it. You know, God may want to do a new thing in your life. He goes on and says, do you not know it? In other words, it's possible for God to be doing something new and you don't even know it. 
Uh, you, can, you can resist it. Resist it says this. Oh, I know it's God, but I'm not sure I'm ready for it. God may be want to do something with you and stretch you and, put, and do... You know what? This is not even my message. God, pray for me. Okay? <laughs> but I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. You can resist it in that God can be want to do something in you and you know it's God, but you say, you know what? I just, I, I don't know. And you won't step out in faith. You know, uh, that almost happened to me this year. Because guess what? Fear grabbed a hold of me when God was stretching me in an area of my life to believe Him for something big. And fear crept in. And, I, and you know what? I had to get encouragement. Pastor Eben encouraged me. People around me encouraged me. Well, guess what? The word of the Lord came and said, Fear not. Where I guide, I'll provide. Listen, there are some things that God is going to guide you into. And it's going to stretch you. You're going to have to walk on water. And you have to believe that if God is the one calling me, He'll sustain me while I'm doing it. And the last thing, of course, is to receive it. And you know, hey, I know it's God. And I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Amen. So here, here's, here's, here, let, let me get back, back on track. Number one, you've got to evaluate the past. Right? Number two, you've got to anticipate what God is going to do in 2014. Amen? And here's, here's, here's the other one I want you to know. You've got to eliminate the distractions. Somebody say eliminate. Eliminate, eliminate the distractions. Eliminate the distractions. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, you've got to distinguish between what is urgent and what is important. So, well, Pastor, aren't they the same? That's how I used to think. I used to think they were the same thing. Um, and then one day I was in this Bible study and we read this article by a guy named Charles E. Hummel called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Man, if you get a chance, read it. It's about three pages long. But here, here's the deal. Uh, Charles E. Hummel started to distinguish uh, that there's a difference between those things which are important for us as people and those things which just take up our time because they're urgent. Because the clock is ticking. Because we've got to get done. And he used the life of Jesus. And here's what he said. John 17, 4 is where Jesus says he's praying. He's about to die. And he prays to the Father. And John 17, 4, he says these words. He says, Father, I have glorified you because I have completed the work that you gave me to do. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Jesus was only in full-time ministry for three and a half years. And he had this confidence that he was done. And Jesus worked. He worked tirelessly. I mean, he was, you know, he worked through the night. He was healing people. He was doing all that. He, he worked so hard that sometimes he'd even fall asleep. I mean, he was, fell asleep on the boat one time. The storm was around. He didn't even know there was a storm. The disciples had to wake him up and say, hey, there's a storm. <laughs> people were always pressing through the crowds, touching him, hem of his garment. You know, all this kind of stuff happening. But you know what? Jesus was never rushed. Jesus never looked like, you know what? Hey man, we gotta go. We gotta go. Come on guys. Let's, like, phew, we're late. I mean, like not once in the scripture did you hear Jesus say, I think we're running late. <laughs> not once. There's times where Jesus said, hey, uh, you know, Jesus sent them to go get some food. He's, he sat down and talked with this woman for like, uh, I mean, how long? Because he was, he was calm. He got it down. And yet, at the end of Jesus' ministry, there were still people left to be healed. There are still people left to be risen from the dead. Lots of them. Right? There were still people who needed uh, all sorts of food. Like, think about that. Right? 5,000 one day. You don't think they wanted food the next day? Yes. That's a huge government program right there. Okay? So there's always something that he could have done. 
But Jesus focused on the things that needed to be done, not the things that were pulling and causing, you know, the urgencies. No, no, no. Here, here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Urgent things are things that change every day and that need to be done and can't be put off till tomorrow. Those are urgent things. Um, that thing, that deadline. You know, you, know, you got to put in that paper. You got to submit that proposal. You got to, you know, take your kid to school. That, you know, all those things. Those are urgent things. Important things are things that do not change day to day, but they can be put off till tomorrow. You say, well, Pastor, like what? Um, like your exercise. Remember that plan you made? And you remember how it went? I remember the day you woke up and you said, you know what? Ah, I can do it tomorrow. That was an important thing that you just put aside. Or how about this? Your prayer time. How about this? Reading the... Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's good, that's good. How about this? Um, date night with your spouse. Somebody, somebody's excited over there. <laughs> That's spending time with your kids. Those are important things. Because here's the thing. If you ignore the important things long enough, then they become more urgent than the urgent things you have in your life right now. Because eventually those important things lead to an end that is worse off than if the urgent things that you're dealing with right now never got dealt with. You see, if you don't take care of your health, then eventually your health will cause you to not have any strength to take care of the urgent things that you're taking care of right now. Nobody cares if you're coming on time if you're in the hospital, do they? I'm just saying. So you got to take care of the important things. The important things. Um, you've got to recognize that uh, God wants me to focus on some important things. What are the important things that He wants me to focus on? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Luke 2.52 outlines it in Jesus' life. In Luke 2.52, this is after Jesus was just done, finished talking to all of these people in the temple. And he was like 12 years old. And then it talks about his life between 12 and 30 in one verse. Here's how it goes. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's it. The Bible says between 12 and 30, there are four things that Jesus focused on. Hmm. Wisdom. Or his intellect, or his mind, stature, his body, favor with God, his spiritual life, and favor with men, his relationships. Man, if we can focus on those four things, and I'll throw in one more because he was a kid at the time, so he probably didn't have issues with this, but finance. Amen? Somebody said finance. Oh yeah, because you got, you, got, you got to take care of that too if you want 2014 to be right. So how do you do this? Um, first of all, let's talk about your mind. Your mind, uh, you know what? Romans 12 verse 2 says, uh, Brethren, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, uh, by, you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here, here's what this verse is telling me. It's saying that my circumstances changing is not what's going to cause me to have a good year. It's my mind changing. In other words, I can look at 2014 and hope I don't get what 2013 had. But it's not the circumstances that made the difference. It's my mind that made the difference. It's how I was prepared to deal with the circumstances that came my way. Because we can't control circumstances, but we control the way we think and the way we respond and we re react to those things which come our way. And the only way we can do that is if our mind is changed. 
So how do you change your mind? You fill it with God's word every day. Because if I have the mind of Christ, then I start to respond like Christ. And I start to deal with things the way Christ would. And therefore I grow in Christ the way God wants me to grow. Are you with me? How else do I go? The, the other thing to do with your mind is to spend time reading about the areas that you want to see change in. Now, Half Price Books has this um, great sale going on right now. So I went down there yesterday and I picked myself, you know, I picked up three books. One to do with church growth because that's the area that, that I'm in. Uh, one to do with, uh, you know, uh, some fitness thing, you know, because, you know what I'm saying? And then I picked up one called, Have a New Kid by Friday. You know? <laughs> How many of us need a new kid by Friday? <laughs> so I just picked up one of those right there. Because I'm going to read those books because I want to have wisdom in those. Oh, yeah. Amen. Praise God, sister. I hear you. I feel you. Praise the Lord. All right. Number two is your body. Your body. So that's your mind, your body. And here's what uh, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, 20. It's talking about sexual immorality. But here's how it ends. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And catch these last four words. You are not your own. He's not about your body. It's not your own. Or do you not know, and what's the next verse? It says this, uh, For you were bought with a price, or at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, what is God's? Your body and your spirit. Okay, your, not just your spirit. Pastor Robert Morris said he had this dream one day, right? And so he was with a group of people and he was trying to tell them why it's so important for them to tithe. And so he said to them, don't, he was frustrated by the end of the dream because he was trying to give them every scripture. And then he just stood up in the midst of it and he said, don't you understand that the tithe belongs to the Lord? And then the Lord said, and your body belongs to me too. Your body is not your own. You are just a manager of it. That's different, right? So, uh, so we need to steward our body right because at some point God is going to say to us, so how did, how did you do with that body I gave you? And, I mean, and some of us are like, God, why did you give me this body right, this body right here? <laughs> well, to whom much is given. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Just pray for me. Just pray for me. Pray for me. All right, so your body is your spirit. Uh, so here, here's the thing. Your body belongs to God. Jesus died for it on the cross. Amen. And God's spirit lives in your body, so he expects you to take care of it. Amen. All right, no, your spirit. Here's, here's the third part. He said, wisdom, body, in favor with God, your spirit. And here's what the Bible says about the spirit. That it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, here's, here's what God wants in, in our lives. God wants us to live a spirit-led life. In other words, a life that's not dependent on our power and our ability. Because if you try to make 2014 your best year out of your energy and your force and your wisdom and all of this, you'll fail. You'll be like that iPhone. You know, I have an iPhone, right? And um, some of you have other phones. But here's, here's the thing. Regardless of which phone you have, um, most of us in here plug our phone in every night. 
right? And we plug it in. Regardless, if it's 95%, we'll plug it in. If it's 5%, we'll plug it in. There are people who, like Pastor Sarah, she can't find her charger. And so because she can't find her charger, sometimes you call and, and the phone is dead, right? But here's the thing. Trying to live your life without being spirit-led is like an iPhone who never gets plugged in. Eventually, you'll run out of your own power. Eventually, run out of your own power. But you've got to plug in to recharge in order to do the things that you were created to do. And so, uh, getting your spirit right is spending time with God every day. Man, sometimes, listen, start off, if you've not done this before, start off with 10 minutes. And say, hey, you know what? During this 10 minutes, I'm going to read a scripture. I'm going to meditate on something that's said to me. I'm going to pray about it. That's it. You start there because that's going to help build your spirit and recharge you to do the things you need to do. And also, here's, here's another tip for you as well. Uh, throughout the day, talk to God. Your, your talking to God doesn't have to just uh, be a morning thing or a night. It can be all day long. You're walking into a meeting, say, God, give me wisdom, for, give me patience for this person right now in Jesus' name. You see what I'm saying? That's your spirit. And finally, he said, and your relationships, favor with man. And that just means spending the time with the people who are closest to you to ensure that your relationships are right. Spend time with your spouse. Spend time with your kids. Find a way. And, and you know what? Uh, um, you say, boy, sometimes I find it so hard. I know because the urgent things pull from you. And I get that. I understand that. That's why there, there's a time in my day that I just park my phone so that I can engage fully with my family. You know, just, just this year, I started to take Joshua to breakfast every Saturday morning. We go to IHOP, same place, same time. It's, it's all the same thing, just so that I can engage with him. It's important that you take the time to do that. And then finally, your finances. And with your finances, I mean, hey, listen, you need, let me just tell you this. You need a budget. You need it. You need it, uh, okay, not even, you need a written, someone say written. written. A written budget. And then live it. Write it and then live it. Write it and then live it. Alright, let me give you some final practical tips and I'm done. I'm f- final practical tips. Number one, pray about the things that I've just said today. The same areas, those five areas, pray about them and get God's heart for what He has for you for 2014 in those five areas. Number two, Set one goal for each of those areas. Set one goal for each of those areas. Number three. Number three, catch this. Um, share your goals with someone else. A friend. Why? Because uh, when, when, when two or three are gathered, Jesus, Jesus is there. Amen? Let me tell you something. It would put pressure on you if you share with somebody. If you're the only one that knows it, it's not known. Amen. And, and can I tell you something? Write it down so you can share it. Don't just have it in your head. Write it down. Research shows that a written goal is high, more likely to be accomplished even if you don't have a plan behind it than one that is just thought of. Here, here's the fourth thing, and um, this one is important. Create a habit or a routine around the goal. In other words, if you, if you go and pray every morning at 6 o'clock, just make it no exceptions. 
do the same exact thing every single time. I wake up to the same song, alarm song. I go through the same exact routine. I walk to the bathroom at the same time. I do the same exact thing right, right out. Every single thing is the same exact. So much so, guess what? The difference between a habit and a discipline is a habit is something you don't think about. Did you get that? You ever driving somewhere um, and then you end up driving towards your house and you say, oh, no, that's not where I was going. You ever done that before? That's because that's called a what? A habit, right. You didn't even think about it. That's why it happened. Guess what? When your body gets so accustomed to doing the same exact routine over and over again, you develop a habit, your body just does it. Okay, that's all right. We'll, we'll talk about that some other day. But, but we're good. And then final thing is number five, depend on God Every step of the way, depend on God. Listen, don't pray about it. Get God's instruction and then try and do it on your own. You've got to depend on him. You've got to depend on him. You've got to depend on him. Amen? Amen. Amen. You get something out of today. Put your hands together and bless him. Amen. All right, bow your heads with me real quick. And um, as we close today, I want, I want to tell you something. That our willpower will get tired without God's power. The Bible says, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap a reward if you faint not. Well, the only way for us to faint not is if we have God's power to sustain us in times of weariness. And so today, before we can commit to any of these things, we have to have God's power in us. And you may be here today and you've, you've never asked Jesus in your life.